AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson joins you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And right now we're with Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Make sure you go to Minnesota Reformer for the latest in Minnesota news and politics. As today, we have a number of quick hitter topics to get to. Kind of a busy news day, so we're going to dive right into it with uh, Patrick right now. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So let's see, where do we want to start today? Let's talk about free college tuition in Minnesota and how this could possibly impact some of our neighboring states. Because North Dakota State University has created a free tuition program after expressing concerns over the same free tuition program that was recently passed by the state legislature here in Minnesota earlier this year, where basically the new financial aid program in Minnesota called North Star Promise Program will cover the cost of tuition and fees for Minnesota families earning less than $80,000 a year. As I mentioned, this will probably have a major impact on border states, including North Dakota, as North Dakota State University did announce last week that they are going to be offering free tuition for eligible North Dakota and Minnesota first or second year students beginning in the 2024-2025 school year. So why did North Dakota State make this move? Were they uh, expecting a number of potential students that could be lost? Because as I understand it, uh, quite a large proportion of the students at North Dakota State University actually come from Minnesota. That's right. Um, I I think that uh, universities are uh, facing um, some difficult times related to uh, dropping enrollment, and this is just a matter of demographics. There are fewer people of uh, college age, and so it's really a, uh, it's a tough competition for students. And once uh, Minnesota made this move uh, at, at the urging of Senator Omar Fateh, uh to uh, eliminate tuition and uh, fees for families who are just above the median income, um, it really set off, I think, a, a competitive environment here in the upper Midwest. Uh, something like uh, 45% of, of North Dakota State's uh, um, students, that's 12, a little more than 12,000 students, are actually Minnesota residents, um, according to the, the, the university's own data, um, whereas about 40% of them are, are North Dakota residents. So we're losing a lot of folks over there, um, and uh, it has a, a long-term impact on the state of Minnesota, the fact that we lose uh, a, lot of, a lot of young people um, who, who go to college elsewhere. So what we're doing is we're going to uh, keep them here with the with the potential uh, free tuition, and and I think North Dakota had had no they felt like they had no choice but to match that offer, um, and so we, what you see here is some some good public policy that uh, is um, flowering um, thanks thanks to uh, Minnesota legislature this year kind of laying the uh, the seed down. And what's important to point out about this North Dakota program, which was done in response to Minnesota, is that theirs is only in effect for the 2024-2025 school year. So uh, this is only a one-year deal, so it'll be interesting to see if they end up extending this. But I imagine this program could help Minnesota keep more of its students because uh, this was something I wasn't aware about until the August Star Tribune uh, article from earlier this year where they talked about how Minnesota loses 1,000 more college students than arrive. So this could have a major impact or at least somewhat of an impact on trying to keep some of those students here in our state. Yeah, as you as we've, I think, talked about, there's been a lot of discussion um, in the past uh, six months or so about whether or not people are fleeing, quote unquote, Minnesota. Um, it, it's a, I use scare quotes around that word. 
and and people having a debate about the the cause of in migration and out migration. And I think the Star Tribune did a good job analyzing the data and finding that a lot of the the reason that we're losing population insofar as we are, it's because of young people. They're just going to college. Um, they have opportunities elsewhere um, and they're taking them. And the problem with that is, I mean, it's good for them. And I, I think we ought to encourage folks to go see the world. But, um, you know, that first job is, is often uh, going to be uh, related to where you went to university. So I feel like if you're um, if you're going to the University of Illinois, there's a decent chance you're going to wind up getting a job in Chicago. Uh, if you're going to University of Michigan, um, there's a lot of corporate recruiters are, are coming from New York or, or Washington, D.C. And, you know, once you get in a place, uh, you know, are you going to come back to Minnesota? A lot of people do. Um, in fact, that's the, that's kind of the joke that everybody comes back. Uh, but not everybody's going to, and we are certainly uh, like like all states. We're in a bit of a competition for for people and for workers, um, so that we can remain vibrant. And uh, so I think keeping uh, our young people here, if if they want to stay here, and because we and, and if we can make it financially viable for them to stay here, I think we should do that. And and I think North Dakota's response here shows how effective that. Uh, that policy is that the legislature passed this year. I'm going by geography. Let's move a little east from the Fargo area where North Dakota State University is located and head east to northern Minnesota where we're going to be talking about, well, basically some complex legal questions about tribal sovereignty because there is this case that is happening in uh, northern Minnesota that has to do with the white with the White Earth Nation having a uh, local cannabis shop, smoke shop, getting raided by state authorities about three months ago. So here's what happened. Back on August 2nd, Monument County Sheriff's deputies and White Earth Tribal Police raided Todd Thompson's tobacco shop for illegally selling THC cannabis products. But so far, no charges have been filed in the case, and the state might not even have the authority to prosecute Thompson or other tribal members for marijuana crimes on reservations. And that's because Thompson is a member of the White Earth Nation, and even though he did not have a permit from the state or permission from the tribal council, he still believes he is legally able to sell cannabis. So let's dive into that question. Why does Thompson believe he legally has the right to sell these products, even though he does not have a state permit? or permission necessarily from the White Earth Nation. What's his stance? Well, he thinks that um, that he uh, has that right to, to do that under the, both the Minnesota Chippewa Tribes Constitution uh, as well as U.S. treaties with Ojibwe. Um, and uh, he seems to be really making, um, he's trying to make a statement here. Um, as, he, as he told our reporter, Max Nesterak, he says, we're pushing our rights, we're just sick of being held down. And every economic opportunity uh, we're held back from. It's really not clear that he um, th- that he has the right under the uh, the tribal constitution. Um, we talked to our, our reporter talked to Angelique Eagle, Eagle Woman, who's uh, runs the uh, Mitchell Hamlin's Native American Law and Sovereignty Institute, and um, she says that insofar as the tribe uh, ha- has a regulated industry like this they're allowed to enforce rules and he has to live by those rules. And the tribe is saying that he wasn't living by those rules. But then there's really, then there's the question of, is he liable uh, by Minnesota, by, by the County? I mean, can he be prosecuted by the County? And then um, that looks like a, a, 
the, the answer appears to be no on that. And, and of course, this is all happening in the days after uh, cannabis was legalized in the state of Minnesota. So it's really uh, a, a tangled, interesting story here um, that Max has told. Yeah, the timing's important, too, because as we mentioned, the raid occurred uh, on August 2nd. That's one day after cannabis was legalized in Minnesota. But what's important is that, at least at the White Earth Nation, they they have their own THC dispensary, and they didn't have their dispensary ratified until August 3rd. So the timing's interesting, too, since that raid technically happened and Thompson was selling uh, before White Earth Nation had their own cannabis shop set up. Uh, one last aspect I want to... Hey, so Thompson, Thompson... Yeah, go ahead. What Thompson is saying is, you know, the, that the, the, his, the tribe is really just trying to shut him down because they don't want any competition. Um, and so, so that's his position. And then as far as the, the county attorney, he's saying, you don't have any, you, I mean, you don't have the right to prosecute me. I'm, I was on tribal land, not to mention the fact that uh, marijuana was legalized as of uh, August 1st. The problem being that Thompson was very open um, and sort of flouting the law. I mean, he was advertising product that uh, was, um, was even though he was not licensed as a as a uh, cannabis dealer, and, and of course, no one is licensed at this point, other than the the, the two tribal uh, operations. Yeah, and as you said, yeah, he was very prominently advertising this, so it was not exactly a secret that he was going to be selling these products in early August. Uh, last question uh, before we have to move on to another story to get a couple more in, but I'm curious, what is Minnesota able to prosecute on reservations? Because as I understand it from Max's article, there is a distinction as to whether this offense by Thompson is going to be a criminal or a civil case as to whether Minnesota could prosecute this guy, even if they want to in the first place, which is an entirely different question. Right. So Minnesota uh, can, can have, does have the power to prosecute criminal, although not civil, violations of state law by tribal members on uh, certain reservations, including White Earth, um, under what's known as Public Law 280. And so the question becomes, in this Thompson case, um, is he violating a criminal law um, or, or is he violating a, a civil matter? And, um, and so then you have to get kind of into the uh, deep into the weeds of, of uh, the case law here. And uh, but the Supreme Court has said if the intent of a state law is to prohibit certain conduct, then it falls within public law 280 and they could prosecute. But as we know, Minnesota has legalized marijuana as of August 1st. So then are, are, they, are you only uh, going after him on, on a civil matter? And in that case, you can't do it. Um, so um, it's a very. Uh, it's a tough case here for uh, the, the county attorney, it seems. Yeah, and I think the other angle, too, is how much does the state really want to prosecute Thompson simply because, well, this law was passed in the first place to try to, well, cut down on the number of drug offenses we have and people being locked up for, for low-level low drug offenses. And uh, I imagine they, they might not necessarily want this to be the best look if they were to prosecute Thompson fully to the extent as well. Right. We're trying to dial back the war on drugs, especially as it, uh, negatively impacts indigenous people and and people of color, and and now you have this case where, you know, you, you're you're basically never going to prosecute uh, a cannabis crime except this guy. Um, so yeah, it's not a great look. 
Well, you can read more about Max's article again over at minnesotareformer.com titled White Earth Marijuana Raid Challenges Minnesota Cannabis Law. Again, minnesotareformer.com. Let's talk about, uh, let's go to southeast Minnesota right now because we have talked about this, I believe, before, and that is issues with drinking water coming from private wells in southeastern Minnesota because we have a new development on what's been happening in the area. As the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, says Minnesota state agencies like the Department of Agriculture and the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency are not doing enough to prevent nitrates, which are a toxic byproduct of fertilizers and livestock manure, from entering the drinking water in southeastern Minnesota. And I imagine this could have a major impact on some of the private wells in southeastern Minnesota. So let's dive into this. Why did the EPA issue this ruling and what are they saying uh, Minnesota needs to uh, do better to try to prevent some of these nitrates from entering drinking water? Yeah, at the urging of uh, some environmental groups, um, the the EPA uh, studied this issue and and said Minnesota isn't doing enough, and notified the, uh, the Department of Agriculture, the MPCA, which is our pollution control agency, and, and the Department of Health, uh, that we're not identifying, notifying, or assisting people in, as you said, the southeast part of the state with high levels of nitrate. Um, and um, certainly, there's a, a complex ecology here. Uh, where our, our water moves between surface and underground, and unfortunately it carries runoff, um, especially from livestock operations, but as well as well as uh, from crop fields. And um, so the, the EPA is giving notice. Um, they they can uh, take emergency or enforcement action if if the state doesn't wind up holding polluters um, accountable for the nitrates. Um, and in a response. The agency said they'd uh, they'd respond to the to the letter within 30 days. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, but this is this is an ongoing issue, and uh, it's going to be extremely politically fraught because uh, the the farm lobby certainly is very influential, um, including with both parties. All right, one more article to go to, and this has to do with, well, let's go to the metro area to wrap things up because Dean Phillips is the current uh, U.S. representative in the 3rd District in the West Metro area here in the Twin Cities. He, of course, announced that he is going to be challenging Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination, and that has, uh, well, had a wave of effects here in CD3 as a number of people have announced that they are going to be running for the DFL nomination in CD3 in light of Phillips's uh, run for president. And one person who announced to run is State Senator Kelly Morrison, who is an OBGYN from the Deep Haven area. What are your thoughts now on uh, Morrison entering the race? Because this is one of the bigger names that has entered the CD3 proceedings, and there could be more on the way as well, including Secretary of State Steve Simon. So there's certainly been some shockwaves felt in CD3 ever since Phillips decided to uh, run for president. Yeah, and um, you know, I'm not, I'm not following the. It's not like I'm following this campaign um, super closely. I'm kind of at a, at a high, at some altitude here. But from what I can tell, State Senator Kelly Morrison is is coming out of the gate here really strong. Um, she hired Megan Hondel as our as our campaign manager, um, and 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 she's known as a key player in the uh, the Senate DFLs. Uh, effort to get the majority um, in 2022, which surprised a lot of people. Um, so I think she's known as a really effective uh, uh, operative. She also rolled out uh, a bunch of uh, endorsements right off the bat. Um, a lot of her colleagues 
in the state Senate, which I think is, is usually a good sign. Um, Governor Mark Dayton, uh, Sarah Stowes, who's a, the former CEO of Planned Parenthood and is, I think is, is known as a really um, uh, important, effective player um, in progressive politics, Aaron May Quaid. Uh, Hodan Hassan. So um, it, it looks like a pretty sharp operation. She's known around the Capitol, and, it just, and uh, I got a note from a lobbyist yesterday as, as somebody who is very sharp um, and and gets stuff done. Uh, she's an OBJYN. Her her, uh, her her husband was a former Army Ranger. Um, I, I think this is looking like a a pretty strong operation right out of the gate. Um, you never know what can happen, um, but uh, she looks pretty well positioned uh, to replace Phillips here, um, which is not to say there wouldn't be strong uh, candidacies from someone like Ron Harris, who's already in the race as well, and he got in first, and I think there's got to be some credit to him for, for actually doing it, uh, not waiting to see what Phillips would do. He said, I'm getting in, and um, you know, I think um, that ought to be plotted. Uh, and Steve Simon is uh, just a gen- one of the most genuine decent human beings um, around in my coverage of politics, and and certainly he'd be an attractive candidate as well. Yeah, and going back to your point of uh, Kelly Morrison really coming out hot with this campaign, is that, yeah, this this is not a token campaign where you often see in congressional races. Well, you'll see some token opposition, someone running for the primary, but yeah, she's definitely looking like she is uh, running to win this seat. I guess the last question would be with this is that Let's say Dean Phillips runs for president and, as expected, does not end up with the Democratic nomination and decides, you know what, he's going to stay in Congress and run for his seat. Would someone like Kelly Morrison stay in the race or would she potentially drop out? Or do we have any indication in that regard with her and maybe even some of these other potential candidates on what they might do if Phillips does does decide to stay in Congress? Harris has said he's running no matter what. And I think think Morrison, I don't have any inside information on this, but I think, you know, to, to, to come out like this, the way she has with the endorsements, I'm sure she's uh, raising money. She, uh, she's already putting together a, a strong campaign. I, I find it unlikely that she would just step aside just because Philip uh, had his little uh, fun with the presidential campaign and wants to come back to uh, represent the third. Um, you know, if he decided to do that, and let's say that, uh, that it was the two of them in a primary um I have to say it would be tough to beat Phillips um, just because of the, the name ID, the, the incumbency advantage, and the fundraising. Uh, so, so even though uh, people like you and me and, and DFL activists um, are probably a little chapped at uh, Phillips at the moment and would not be too pleased with him um, trying to jump back in to uh, run for his seat, um, the reality of the, you know, the average DFL primary voter in August, um, it might be a different, might be a different story. You know, do they know who Kelly Morrison is? Uh, in order to get people, make people aware of who she is and her talents, it costs a lot of money, especially in, in, in the very expensive Twin Cities media market. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are just about out of time. We have been speaking with Patrick Kulikan, editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Uh, Check out all of those great stories we talked about today over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. As always, Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.